Hi, and welcome to Designed for Life, the podcast that brings design and technology teachers and business leaders from across the UK together as we collectively seek to inspire, energize, and create the workforce of the future. Hi, and welcome to Design for Life, the podcast brought to you by the Design and Technology Association with the help of our sponsors, the Edge Foundation and PTC Onshape, without whom we would not be here. Welcome and a huge thanks for tuning in. This pod's going to be just a little bit different, slightly different format from the one that we normally use. Our guest is somebody called Lynn Elvins. Lynn, I came across a short while ago, about six years ago, set up an initiative called Workhouse in the Southwest. I'm not going to tell you too much about it because you need to listen to the pod to find out more about it. But what I will say is there's a recognized problem, not just in design, in engineering, in so many areas that we work in, that the step up from education into industry through university or not, through university or through apprenticeships or whatever it might be, is an increasingly big step for young people to make. And one part of the sector constantly complains about the work that another part of the sector does. So we will get employers saying that students are not leaving school with the right skill sets ready for work. We will get schools saying that it's not their job to prepare students for school, something I'd argue with myself. But we do get schools saying that, you know, purely education is not about employment. It's about life. I'd agree with that. But I would say that employment is a big part of life. But within the design sector, there is a recognised problem that the talent pool coming in, A, is dwindling, considering the growth within the design sector, and B, the students that do get there quite often haven't got the experiences that a studio will need. And a studio, as you'll hear in the podcast, is quite often a relatively small SME. It will be somewhere 10 to 20 people in size. And carrying somebody for nine months whilst they learn how to act and how to take part within that organisation is quite often something they just can't afford to do. They almost need people to come in work ready, which the claim is they're not arriving in that state at all. They're arriving really not sure what a studio does. And Workhouse sets out to solve that problem, but also to increase diversity into the sector by giving people from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, an experience of design over a weekend, over a very, very intense weekend. I think it's an amazing initiative. I will put the links to Workhouse and I'll put one or two of the links that we talk about on the pod in the show notes so you can go straight to it. I think we may come back on this one and just see how the weekend went and do a catch up from there. But in the meantime, without further ado... Designed for Life in conversation with Lynn Elvins, co-founder of Workhouse. Hi, and welcome back to Design for Life. I'm here today with Lynn Elvins. Lynn has got a few roles, actually, when I answer up. We'll hopefully dig into a couple of them. But we're here really to talk about Workhouse today and to talk about the work that that is doing and has been doing for the last six years. I'm going to hand over to Lynn to introduce herself, first of all. Lynn, hi, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me along. So, yes, as you say, my name is Lynn Elvins. I work as what's called a design manager or design strategist, which, again, I think we might dig into that a little bit. That that means uh, very little to very few people as a title. But basically, I get to work on design projects and I'm kind of in between designers and businesses. So I'm often helping companies to actually do more design work and get designers in at the right time on the right projects for the right reasons so that they get the very best out of design. I'm definitely going to go back to that design strategist because it yeah intrigues me. And I looked it up a little bit. And the more I looked it up, the deeper I fell into it. So we will yeah. come back to that definitely. I'm going to cut corners a little bit on this podcast, just for everyone listening. There is a normal pattern to the podcast. I want to get to Workhouse as quickly as possible. But if you wouldn't mind, Lynn, just giving us a little bit of a vibe of education for you. What was it like? Where was it? How was it? 
So if I go all the way back, which is quite a long way back to school. So I grew up in Bristol, went to a local secondary school on the sort of suburbs of Bristol. The interesting bit, I think, probably for the sake of this podcast, is that when I was at school, my school had a graphic design O-level, as it was then. Wow. And I took that. And it wasn't until many years later when I mentioned that to a few people who just said that was really unusual. And why did they do that? And obviously, I don't know, because I was a 15-year-old who just had it on that options list. And I I grabbed it because I, I really, really enjoyed it. And so looking back at school, the other thing was that that particular O-level was run by a chap who worked as a graphic designer. Um, And I think that is very pertinent, actually, to the conversation that we'll have about Workhouse and how I was kind of introduced to the subject and what I enjoyed about having someone teaching me who also brought some professional practice because he was unlike other teachers. He used to turn up with a, a shirt on that's sort of looking very smart. And we knew that he wasn't there at the school full time. He would come in to do his teaching and then talk to us about his projects, which I just found absolutely fascinating. Then I went off to A-levels and didn't do very well at all at my A-levels, actually. Had a lovely time doing them. And I think that was partly why I didn't do particularly well academically. Too lovely a time, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a, that's a fair way of putting it. And so after that, I then knew at the time that if I did go on to university at that point with the very poor grades that I came out with, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. I knew that I wouldn't have the choices. I wasn't entirely sure what what direction I would have gone in at that time. So I started working and I got a job, fortunately, in a communications company. So then started to see other graphic designers in the studio around me and I played a part on the production team. And again, really, really enjoyed it. And then went back to university when I was 24. And that was just at the point where design management was being recognised as a subject. So again, I feel I was incredibly lucky at the time. I didn't know there was such a thing as design management as a subject. I happened to get sent a flyer when I was looking at courses And it came through saying that there's this course at what then was the Surrey Institute of Art and Design, and they were doing this subject called design management. And I read the description and having worked for a few years in a communications company, I read the description and really recognised it and thought this is exactly what I want to do. Because to me, it came across as the mix between working with clients and business and design. One of the things that I'd learned when I was working on that first job was I was very surprised at how it was the salespeople who were talking to the clients and they were coming back into the studio and then telling the designers what to do. And I always just found that very frustrating and very odd. I was like, why are the salespeople telling the designers what to do? Because salespeople can talk to anybody. Exactly. They held that relationship with the client and they would tell all these stories about the clients and talk about the clients as people. And I always found that very, very interesting. But then, yes, they would tell the designers what to do. And that really, at that point in my life, it really sort of disillusioned me, actually, to what designers did. Because I just thought, well, if that's what designers are doing, they're just sort of sitting in the studio being told what to do. I thought being a graphic designer was this very kind of quite cool, glamorous kind of job that, you know, was doing all these exciting things. To me, it felt like the salespeople got to do the exciting thing. They got to go out. They got to talk to all these people to come back with the brief. So I was very confused. And then because this information came to me about design management and I read what it was, and it was this bridge between business conversations and design conversations. I just thought that's exactly what I recognise. I'll have some of that. So I went off to university then and again, spent three incredibly happy years at the Surrey Institute, I'd say as it was then, diving into all sorts of topics within design management as a degree, which it doesn't tend to get taught as a degree anymore. It tends to only get taught as a master's now, which I think is right. But so, yeah, I absolutely loved it. You got a master's in human geography, is that right? I do. But again... I took that just a few years ago. Oh, right. So, so that's that's it, personal interest, is it? Or Exactly, exactly. So I graduated from Bristol University with that in 2019. 
So I got to that point in my life where I thought, yeah, I did really enjoy studying when I did my degree. I'd like to do some more of that. Quite like the idea of doing a master's, but purposely didn't want to take a design related course on the title because I wanted just to sort of give my brain some extra space to flex in. And again, happened to come across a a discussion with the people who were running this human geography course, which I'd never heard of before, didn't really know what it was. Again, very, very interesting mix. The subtitle of that course is Society and Space. It has a, a, a good dose of philosophy in it. And the idea of looking at geography, again, as people's interaction with land and space and time. And to me, that is a very design-rich area. It's about how people interact with the world and with places and with experiences. And so as far as I'm concerned, that is a very design-heavy discussion. But with the other people that were in doing the same course, design wasn't something that they were familiar with. They were much more from social sciences. So it was a very, very interesting and challenging subject to do. But yeah, again, I, I enjoyed it. So let's get to this design strategist. I mean, I, I looked it up. I thought I knew what it was. And then the more I looked it up, I thought, no, I don't know what it is. One of the things that it was labelled as, which I found really interesting, was storyteller. Okay. How would you describe it? So I would probably catch it in slightly more businessy terms. And again, that comes from something which I often say to young designers when I'm working with them, is that a lot of the design industry does work for commercial companies. Not all of it, not all design work is in that direction. And if you don't want to have a career that's in the sort of commercial world, that's okay. There are other options to it. But certainly a lot of the design agencies that I would come across and work with, they are focused on corporate or company or business clients, whether they're small or big or or whatever they might be. And therefore, when you're doing a design project with a company, you have to ask them about their strategy. You have to sort of say, why are you doing this? What is it for? How is this particular project, whether it's a graphic design or, or product development or service design or whatever it might be, how does it align with what you're trying to achieve as a business? Because it will be judged. It will be judged on, are they trying to sell more stuff, more product? Are they trying to gain reputation for the business? Are they trying to reposition themselves? All of those things. So when I say design strategist, for me, it's the bit that I will dig around with a client as to what the business strategy is so that we can make sure that there's then a design strategy that aligns with that. And let's say that can be in all sorts of different directions. And it might be more about creativity and innovation. But yeah, it is strategy in the business sense. I mean, you mentioned storytelling. And obviously, storytelling is a huge part of most design projects now. So yeah, there is also that layer within a project of understanding the narrative of how things are being put out there, whether that's the public side and also whether that's the internal project side as well, how it's being talked to with the team and with the company people that you might be working with. The other reason in a way that my role exists, because I work independently, so I don't work for an agency or for a company, I go in independently, which again does give me some advantages because obviously there are lots of different types of design agencies out there and I'm not attached to one type of agency. So when I'm talking to a business about how they might use design, I don't mind if that means working with a product design agency or working with a brand design agency because I don't have an agency behind me that I'm trying to sort of sell in. But often, say when I'm talking to companies, you also have to remember on lots of design projects, business people might not have a lot of experience of working with designers. So again, there's that need for that bridge of sort of putting in the the strategic connection between the two. How are they going to work with this design agency or project? And if they haven't done that very often before, there's some handholding that is needed to kind of prepare them to be ready to work with a creative agency and to get the most out of them. Otherwise, you might have someone who doesn't really know what a designer is going to do. The designer is not quite sure what they are being asked to do. And that's where projects can go wrong not because of intention and not usually because there were bad design work done. 
but because there was just a misunderstanding about what was expected and what outcomes were going to be measured and things like that. So, yeah, it's slightly more businessy sounding. But to me, if you sort those business things out, you can make a lot more space for good creative work. I could do a separate podcast just on this. I won't. I just want to dig a little bit deeper, though. You said it's aligning the design work that is going to happen with the strategy that the company has got for growth or for wherever it wants to go. And how does it align? Sometimes you're going to find, and probably more often than one would imagine, that they haven't joined it up like that. They haven't really thought that through. And and it's just like we're getting design in because it seems like the right thing to do. Yeah. Is that what you find? Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, last week I was doing some design thinking workshops with some first-year design students out in Slovenia. And we were talking again about design process. So it is actually very typical that people will commission design based on words to the effect of, I want a, and that might be a website, a logo, a product, a piece of packaging, uh, whatever it might be. I want a thing, get me a designer. And although that's making it very simplified, but many briefs, uh, that's the starting point. So people, they think they want the end result. They know that designers are supposed to do that end result thing. So they then say, right, well, we just need a designer and we get them in. But of course, that isn't true of how the design process works. And any designer, the first thing to do is actually to say, why? Why do you want that thing? Let's not talk about the thing because you've already, in a way, come to a conclusion about what you want. Let's come back a bit. And that's the job that I've got is to say to companies, okay, you think you want that. Tell me why. What is it you're going to do with that? Why is that a challenge? Why do you need that now? Who is this for? What do you think this is going to resolve? What do you think is going to be the outcome of doing this? If this gets done successfully, how will you know it's going to be successful? Let's dig around. And of course, if you dig around in those areas, as you say, which you're quite right about, often people haven't actually thought about the answers to those questions. So actually in their head, they're holding a sense of a solution. And you're kind of asking designers to come in and magically do their thing. And then when the solution doesn't match expectations, people just say, oh, that isn't what I wanted. Yeah, that's your fault, not Uh, mine. Not uh, mine. That's not what I asked for. Can you do it again? So my job really is to stop that situation happening. So it is to do all the pre-questioning, all the pre-digging to get the client into a position where let's get to the real brief And usually the real brief is bigger. So that obviously, again, needs some space to be negotiated because it usually digs into a bigger problem area that hasn't actually been resolved. And then there's a different brief. And then I'll start helping them to write the brief, which really digs into the real challenge and also gives some space for a creative agency to have options on the solutions. I'm looking for a brief that allows a creative agency to explore, you know, how might they help this company to grow? How might they help this company to target this new audience or sector that they want to dig into? Not, can you design a website? Can you design a logo? So it's like getting away from the things and yeah, digging into the real problems and doing that. The world is changing fast and education needs to keep up. The EDGE Foundation is working to help to prepare students to thrive in a fast-changing society. I did an Oracle coding course many years ago that I took back to sixth form students. And Oracle trained 25 of us, I think it was, and took us out to the States to train us. And they said, we can get coders, they're two to the penny, their words. They said that what we want are coders that can communicate well and that can understand the problems and understand and build that into their coding. And they're very, very hard to find, so we've got to create them. And that was the whole idea of the course, was it was as much about communication as it was about coding. Yeah. And the kids loved it. And you know, I had 13, I think, on the first year, and four of them went into the IT industry and are still there now, which is... That's success. It's great. Much the same here now is that it's like, you know, I want this without really knowing what this is. I'll move on because we could stay here forever. I could talk forever on this. So Workhouse, I've looked it up. I must admit, I hadn't heard of it until recently. And I've looked it up and I think it's just a wonderful thing. For people listening now that have never heard of it, can you 
very quickly sort of encapsulate what Workhouse is and what it does? So Workhouse is a weekend. So we do it once a year in Bristol, when it's with design agencies from across Bristol and Bath. So we basically, we invite applicants, young people to apply, and then we select 30 young people that we bring into the weekend and we put them in a studio, a design studio, with around 20 professional designers, creative directors, account managers, strategists like myself, project managers, all sorts of people. And over the weekend, we then all work together on a brief. So we split up into teams. We all work on one brief and it's based on the scenario, which again is quite common in design studios that a client may call up and sort of say, we've got a challenge on at the moment. We've got an idea. We're going to maybe doing something later in the year or whatever it might be. Can you come in and have a chat with us in a few days and maybe see if you can come up with some ideas, give us some thinking. And so that's why on the first day we give people a brief and that's the first time that they ever see the brief. I tried to dig into that brief and I, and I wasn't allowed yeah. to get to it because that is top yeah. secret until it's actual. It is. It is for the professionals as well. So the professional people that come along, we put them on the spot as much as, as the young creative. So there's no pre-thinking. They say it's revealed on the morning. So nobody knows until that point what it is they're going to be working on. And again, as we've talked about with the discussion about design strategy, this is not a brief that people come in and say, we want a poster. Can you design us a thing? This is a brief that is a strategic challenge. So I can use the example of the client that we had last year. So we had the food charity Fair Share with us last year, which were a fantastic clients to have in the room. And one of the challenges that they have is that they have a huge, fantastic team of volunteers that come in and help them just redistribute their food. And as a charity, they engage with those people, they come in, but they felt that they wanted to build that relationship with their volunteers. They wanted their volunteers to feel a bigger part of the organisation. And in my words, they were looking to bring their volunteers to be part of that brand involved and supported and engaged in that. And so that was the brief. How does Fairshare go about helping its volunteers to feel fully included and part of the team, to feel fully, again, communicated with and empowered to understand all of the good work? that Fair Share does because you know the volunteers are the sort of heart and soul of, of their ability to deliver. So that was the brief. And the clients in the room along with, you've got, I believe, 30 young people that have, have signed up yep. to come in and we'll come to how you narrow down to those 30 in a minute because I think that's important to have a look at that. But you've got 30 in there and you've got nine agencies in there and you've got the client in the room as well. Yeah. You're not getting a piece of paper which says this is the brief. You're getting it from the horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah, so the clients come in and present, so they will run through, do a presentation. We do give people a, a little written version so that they can hold on to it, but the clients also spend some time and will go around the teams, and so there is an option to sort of ask them more questions, which again is really important. So that's also one of the other things that we want the young designers to understand. Part of every client project and this is then something which, again, we'll get onto a little bit, you know, the reason behind Workhouse. So we were a little bit concerned as a team of people that potentially at university, students were not being given the real experience of what it's like to work in a studio. And part of that is the relationship that you have with a client and the ability to question them. And the fact that you get given briefs that maybe aren't particularly clear and you do have to ask a lot more questions in order to really understand what the real issue is that's going on. Why do you think that is, Lynn? I'm going to root around now. I'm going to get some university lecturers onto the pod because I want to tackle yep. this with them as well. But I would have thought if you're doing a design degree, that actually working with real clients and working in real scenarios and real situations would be part of your university preparation. But you're alluding to the fact that this doesn't happen to the extent that you would like it to and that other colleagues yeah. would like it to. Well, why do you think that is? It does happen on some, but it varies. So the other part of Workhouse that we do on the weekend is it gives us a lovely opportunity to talk to 
young people, including students, they're not all at university, so they don't have to be doing university courses, but we do have the opportunity to talk to them. And they come from all over the country. And when we did that on the very first year, and we just had an open conversation with them about what they were getting, you get that real sense that, again, university courses differ a lot. So you're right. that, And all university lecturers and, and people running courses do know that they're all trying to get mm. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. In. You know, they, they all want to do that. But some do it better than others. The resources sometimes are different. The connections are different. So what we heard in that first year was all the way along from some universities who have very, very strong professional relationships with outside agencies and outside designers. They do come in. They do help set them briefs. They do get small businesses in or other business contacts in to help give them real briefs. So some are doing that and they're doing that very well and it's embedded in the courses. At the other end, some students were telling us, actually, no, we were encouraged to you know, get some work experience, but we were left to do that on our own. And there was the odd talk here and there, but there was no great deal of deep connection or facilitation. We sort of had to do that ourselves. So it's mixed. And again, it's not because I think people have bad intentions or, you know, no, there, no, there, are, no. there are reasons behind that, but it is mixed. And I think some of the other reasoning behind that, and, not, you know, I have that myself. So I teach on a master's course in design and business. If you bring in clients, which is you know a great thing to do, it does require extra resources and extra time. The people running the courses have to facilitate that. An extra effort. We're trying to do this in schools because you can tell a 14, 15-year-old in design and technology that you're tackling this because there's an exam at the end of it. Yeah. Or you can tell a 14, 15-year-old you're tackling this because this is a real problem and it needs solving. Now, which one's going to motivate you better to work on? So yeah. we're trying to bring live briefs into schools for 14, 15-year-olds to work on. So it seems a no-brainer that it would be there at university. Yet I know it's not in all universities. I take your point that some are doing it really well, but I know it's not because I hear it over and over again is, I've not experienced this until I got to work. And when I got yeah. to work, all of a sudden it was like, wow, is that how a studio works? I didn't know that. Exactly, exactly. And that's exactly what we felt when we did Workhouse because some students were saying that to us. It's like falling off the edge of a cliff. So you go through your course. I'm generalising a lot because say different universities you know, vary. But we were hearing stories of students who they're being given weeks and weeks and weeks to work on a brief on their own. And it's, again, all about the execution, which there is a need for that. Yeah, yeah. But there's a process before to practice their craft. But as you say, when you go into the industry, if you want a job, there are lots of other skills that you need around that, which is A, really strongly is the ability to work in a team because you very rarely, as a designer in the real world, if you use that term, get to work on your own. Some people do, and you might be given a bit of a project, but you've still got to understand who else is on the team, who you're reporting to, who the client is. You know, you might be in a meeting with six or seven other people around the table. So you've got to be able to gel in that environment. You've got to be able to go into a studio where there's multiple projects going on at the same time and they're going up and down and in all different directions. And you've got to be able to, again, go in and kind of muck in and be able to help. And also a big part of doing any design project is the selling of it, if you like, the communicating of it. Again, why are you taking it in that direction? And that, again, is very, very common in the design industry. You may have to pitch initially to win a project, in which case you've got to potentially do a heads up on concepts or directions you might go in. And you've got to stand up, you know, in front of two, three, ten people and persuade them that you're the best agency to do the job. So there's a bit of that. And then when you're on a project, even when you've won it, as you're moving through it as a process, you've got to be able to keep going back to the client and involving them in it and keeping that communication going so that you can get all the way through to the finished implementation. And it was all of those things that those of us who got together to create Workhouse, we were just hearing, especially from people who ran design agencies. They were just saying, and I heard this uh, quite a few times, we're trying to interview for junior positions we're seeing these young people come in. They might have a great portfolio, so we know that they can do good design work, but they can't necessarily communicate their design work very well, and they don't seem to have ever worked in a team. 
And they don't seem to actually really understand what it's like to work in a design studio. And when across the UK, the majority of design companies, design agencies, they're small businesses, that sort of 10 to 30, you might go up and 50. Obviously, there's the ones that go 50 and beyond, but they're small businesses. They need to take on people who are prepared. If you get a job in a big corporate company, there's probably an onboarding and a training process that you'll get put on for six months. And that's great. If you go into an agency that's 20, 25 people, yeah, you've got to be good to go. And so there's a lot of other skills. And if you've got those other skills, a bit of confidence, a bit of ability to present, a bit of experience working on teams, a bit of experience of actually having done what is close to sort of a client project, you're just more ready to go and be part of that team. And that's what the industry needs, as well as design talent. Can I pick up another bit that you said there? It's quite often universities, I've got experience of this with a friend of ours that she was doing a design course at Nottingham Trent and she was asked to find her own placement. Now, very middle-class family, well-connected, finding a placement wasn't a problem. Yeah. If you weren't in that middle-class position where you had those connections, that's a heck of an ask for a student that is coming yeah. from a lower social mobility situation to find that placement. That's very, very hard. And if you're not careful, you're going to find that some people will get the placement, some won't. You're trying to breach that as well, aren't you, with, with, with workhouse? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you say, and if you're in that sort of environment where you maybe know somebody who knows somebody else who you know works in a marketing agency, a design agency, they can give you a contact, then yes, again, you're in. And again, the design industry does work a lot on that. There's a lot of freelancers around. There's a lot of people who just know people. But that also means that you've got to have the confidence to go into that environment. And as you say, for some people, that's easier than others because they've had more practice at it or it's just more familiar territory for them. And that, I think, is one of the issues that the design industry is now facing, the, the way in which it you know, kind of goes about its own networking, its own communication, actually is excluding a lot of people. We've got an initiative called Blueprint 1000, which is trying to connect business and industry with what's going on in schools. And a lot of the design agencies that have joined us have joined us for that diversity ticket, really. They just said, if we carry on recruiting the way we are, then we'll get what we've always got and we've got to yeah. do things differently. So you've got together, this is six years ago, um, you've got together with a group of colleagues. You've seen this problem. You've really grabbed the ball by the horns here. You said, right, there's a problem there. We're not going to moan about it. We might moan about it a little bit, but actually we're going to yeah. do something about it. We're going to get together. We're going to give our time and we're going to create something which will give 30 students, 30 young people. I should say young people, not students, because as you say, they're, they're not necessarily at university. It works from 18 upwards. Yeah. And you get a range of ages from what I can see there. How many applicants did you get this year? Do you mind sharing that with me? We usually get about 100 applicants. And that was the same this year. So, yeah, that's the number that we're looking to then whittle down to our selected 30. What set you from identifying a problem? In a way, I'm answering the question myself. You know, you're designers. This is what you do. You've seen a problem. You've got to find a solution. Let's, let's sort one out. This is what you've done. But you've still got to get up and do it. And it must have been a hard thing to get off the ground. Actually, no, not really, I would say. And that's because of the six of us that sat around the table originally. Also, most of us involved had had some previous connection with the West of England Design Forum, which is a very great organisation, again, all run by volunteers and organised by volunteers for a number of years now. I think I'm going to say it started in 2006. Again, I'd been involved in it before. Other people in the original six of us had been involved in it. So I think in some respects, those of us who sat around the table, we'd volunteered for things before. We knew what was involved. We'd put things together before. So we did know what we were talking about. And when we said, yes, let's do something, we did get it down. And that's why Workhouse is a weekend. So we did get it down almost, again, if I use the business jargon, the MVP, the minimum viable product. What can we do? What could we do to test whether or not young people actually wanted this if we threw it out? Do they want to come into a studio? Do they feel that they haven't got this experience? We might have just been you know, making our own assumptions and, and creating something that they didn't want. So we sort of did that. 
a big thing as well is that, you know, the people around that table were creative directors themselves. So we had some access to resources and Kate Lenton, who at the time was MD of Taxi Studio, which is where we host it in Bristol. Again, she was very generous in checking with the team at Taxi, but they said, yeah, that's fine. You can use our studio. You know, that's a huge resource to be given access to on that volunteer basis. And then between us as a team, we then all pulled on the people that we knew. And I think anyone who does work in the design industry does know when you're in it, there is a lot of, again, communication and contact. And there is a lot of favours that get done amongst people. People do help each other out. So as soon as we sort of worked out what we thought this thing could be, if we did it for a weekend, we did want it to be something different. We didn't want it to be a sort of portfolio check. There are other schemes. Again, we're very fortunate here in in Bristol with the Design Forum. There are other schemes such as uh, the Design Buddy Scheme, which does actually give a one-on-one connection with a young person and somebody in a studio to sort of do those portfolio checks and give them a little bit of guidance. So we didn't want to repeat what other people were doing. We did set ourselves the challenge of saying, let's do something that's really different, really quite special. So that was that whole kind of quite intense 48-hour period, real brief go in, put them in teams, have a discussion. Let's see what happens. You must be exhausted at the end of the weekend. I mean, it it sounds great, but it also sounds really tiring. (laughs) It is. It is very, very intense. And people do say that. But the big thing that we learned as well from the first year, which is also a reason, you know, why we wanted to continue doing it. In that first year, I think we probably, all of us had the attitude, right, you know, we're the professionals here. We're going to show these young people. We're going to sort of push them a little bit. They're going to come in and we're going to put them through the, the mill, show them what it's really like. None of this sort of six weeks to do a brief. We're going to you know throw them in at the deep end, see if they survive, and we'll give them a heads up on all those things. And within a few hours, we could just so see that we had a fantastic group of bright young people with us and they were showing us as much as we were showing them which again you know as you will know is that lovely thing of working with young people they bring so much to the table they bring their perspectives they bring their curiosity and their energy so it is very intense but we loved it as a group of professionals we were just like that was amazing you end up facilitating learning rather than teaching don't you you you, you basically Absolutely. you take what they've got and you help them to use it to the best effect and 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 it's there's a joy in that Absolutely. That's the lesson when you stand back against the wall and you see everybody busy around you and you think, my work here is done. Yeah. It rarely happens in school, but when it does happen, it's a special, special moment. You're totally right. And again, that facilitation, I think, and, and let's say, and doing the doing, learning while you're doing, it's like, you know, don't don't tell them how to do it, do it with them. And then that is very much, you know, the attitude at Workhouse as well. We work in teams. The reason why we have so many professionals in the room it's because those professionals are in the teams working with the young people. So it's not, oh, here you go, young person, you know, sort yourselves out, we'll, we'll check on you in half an hour. It's like, no, you've, you've got professionals with you the whole way through. The professionals are also trying to work out the brief, trying to bring their knowledge, but also encouraging the young people to be the ones that do come up with the creative ideas, but help them to steer it, help them to check it, show them the tools that they use. How do they do this in their own studios? And then on the second day, the main thing is we're also we're trying to give them the confidence, again, to present their idea back to the client. So the client doesn't stay with us the whole weekend. They come back in on Sunday afternoon. And that's when we, we go around each team and each team presents what they've come up with. What an amazing opportunity for that client as well. Absolutely. You've got nine studios and 30 young people working on your problem intensely over the weekend for nothing. It's a no-brainer for some organisation. Yeah. I'm desperate to find out what it is. I'm, I'm going to have to. So it, it's coming on the 19th and 20th of this month. Yes. Can I just touch on quickly, because we haven't really covered it in the conversation so far. You've said you're not looking at portfolios. This is not a check of you've got your 100 applicants. Yeah. You're not looking at the best portfolios are going to be the 30 that come through. You're looking at the 30 people that you think are going to get the most out of this weekend and are going to gain the most from it and go away actually empowered with that. And that must be a hard task. It is. And again, we are also looking for that diversity within the group. 
So we get all sorts of applications, as you say. Some people are on university courses. Some people have graduated. Some people have graduated a few years ago and, again, still haven't managed to get the sort of career break that they wanted. Some people have not gone to university at all, have chosen to not take that route, and that's absolutely fine. Some people are doing graphics. Some people are doing product design. Again, we're not looking for a particular type of design discipline. So we're very, very broad in who can put in an application in the first place. So we are then looking to create a mix within those 30. So one of the things that we also changed in the application process after a couple of years is that we did include some additional information. So one is on ethnic background, which we hadn't put before. So we'd never asked that question. And again, I think like many other people, we didn't ask that question because we didn't really think about it. We just thought, well, we're just asking people to come in and we're just looking for young people and we're, we're looking at their portfolios, we're looking at their links and, and what they've done. And we're saying, yeah, you know, come on in and, and have a go. But when we look back, there's always a team photo for each weekend. The first couple of years that we did it, if you look back at those photographs, you are predominantly looking at 30 white young people. And we didn't see that. And, you know, we have to put our hands up. And we did in that third year. And we said, we need to change something. And clearly, we didn't intend that to happen, but it was happening. So something wasn't working. And we were very fortunate at the time I was a trustee for Creative Youth Network here in Bristol. And there's also a lovely organisation called Rising Arts here in Bristol as well, again, which is run by young people, young creatives looking to do all sorts of fantastic activism and, again, a lovely way of looking at the world. So we approached those two organisations and said, we need to make some changes here. Can you help us? Because clearly we're not doing what we need to do, but we don't know what to do. And so they helped us change the application form. And one of the things was to put on ethnic background so that we could monitor that and see what we were drawing from. The other thing that we added as well is we have a free free write box on the application form, which asks if anyone feels that they have a disadvantage. And there's a whole wide, wide range of criteria that that might fall into, whether that's learning difficulties, mental health issues, might be that you're a carer or a lone parent or anything, a refugee or all sorts of stuff. So again, it, we encourage people to sort of, you know, interpret that as they see fit. So that also gave us access to considering the sorts of people and the disadvantages that they have so that we are allowed then to look at people and think about those lenses of people who are underrepresented within the industry. So with that, with background, with ethnic background as well, with potential disadvantages, with different geographical places that they're coming from, different design disciplines that they're coming from, we're looking at all of that really. There's a few questions on the application form so that we can hopefully get a feel for who people are and what they're interested in. But one of the things we then are looking for, yeah, is is ideally to be able to glean the people who maybe have had some opportunity or have made some effort in the direction that they're going towards, but maybe haven't yet had a lot of opportunities or lots of work experience or lots of internships already. So that ideally... We do hope that Workhouse is an environment where we have given someone the connections to the industry that they might need and that little bit of extra support or confidence and help on the sort of skills side of getting that step up towards getting that first job. Bring your students into the future of design with the CloudCAD platform Onshape. Onshape. I saw an amazing YouTube video where an ex-participant of Workhouse was talking about their experience. And she said, I was on the train. She came down from London to Bristol for it. And she said, I was on a train on the way down and there were three stations where I nearly got off because I was doubting whether I was good enough. I was doubting yeah. whether I had the right skills. And she said, I'm so glad I stayed on that train because that weekend made me. And that's what you're doing that's why you're doing yeah. it it begs the obvious question this is happening in the southwest why is it not happening all over the country because there aren't six people like you that are willing to sit in a room and make it happen but is this something that the dba or somebody else should be grabbing hold of and saying we need to make this happen we need to replicate this that's a good question i mean i think in some respects the fact that we are a group of volunteers who put this together 
if you like, we put our efforts on doing it and delivering it. And we don't put potentially as much effort into sort of, you know, promoting it or going around talking about it. All of us are happy to if we ever get the opportunity. And they're saying it's great to speak to you today about it. So that's something I think, yeah, when we talk to people, they maybe haven't heard of it because we do just focus again on the young people, really getting out to them through the universities and through the other channels that we've got and reaching out again to more diverse groups so that we can spread the word. Then in terms of other places doing it, I mean, the other attitude really that we take is if anyone's listening to this or anyone hears about it, if they want to do a workhouse in the format that we've done it, we're very sort of open source about how we do it. We'd be absolutely delighted if someone wanted to run one in Manchester or Birmingham or or London or wherever. And we're very happy to show them how we do it and how we put it together. And I should stress, say, you know, not only the six of us do the volunteering in terms of putting it together and and the organising group has changed over the years as well. But all of the agencies that come on board, I mean, they all stick some money in to the pot, if you like, to help us put the food on, put the materials together, cover the costs of it. It isn't a money-making thing at all. And we've not gone out and sort of looked into funding routes either. It is literally a bunch of people in the industry who have said, we think this needs to be done. Once we started doing it, we realised how powerful it was. And yeah, we just get on and, and, and do it. It is partially CSR, isn't it? But it's partially vested interest as well. I mean, if you've got 30 good people there, there is a chance that one of those people is going to come and work for your agency later on. And, and that must be a driver for some people. And I'm hearing all the time that getting the right young people into agencies right across the country is really difficult. So from the outside, and I am outside, obviously, so I can probably speak openly where it's difficult if you're inside to speak, but it just seems like a no-brainer. You've got a model that's been trialled. It works really well. It's gone six years, and it seems to get better every year. Why wouldn't you do one in Manchester? Why wouldn't you do one in Liverpool? Why wouldn't you do one in Birmingham? It just seems like an obvious thing. I'm not going to push it. If there's anyone listening, though, that really says, you know, we ought to really do this, please do contact us. Contact Lynn, contact me. Let me put you in touch. Let's try and make Mm. this happen because a great thing to spin off from this podcast would be another one to happen next year somewhere else. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'd be absolutely delighted if other groups and other cities wanted to pick it up and put it together. As you say, it is great fun. It works for everyone, really, on so many different levels. So, yeah, no, if anyone wants that information, we're very happy to share it. I'm going to move on to a quick fire round. And, and these are, are questions that are fire at you real quick and then just see from the hip what comes back from you. The first one is, is there one piece of advice that you would give your younger self now, either at school or shortly afterwards, that with hindsight, you'd look back and just say, listen to this, Lynn? Great question. And I was thinking about this. I think the advice that I would give, and this does actually, without meaning to sort of take it back to workouts again, I would give myself that heads up on how things actually work. Again, the relationships and people. I think the people that have given me good bits of advice over my career are the ones who just have a handle on yeah how teams are working, the people side of things. And that's where I think, again, with Workhouse, that's the bit of advice that we're trying to pass down. It's not the sort of official content. It's about how things work, the culture of places and how you go about getting jobs and that sort of information. So, yeah, if I could go back and give myself some advice, I think it would be great to be that almost like mentor voice where you just pass on your little bit of wisdom down to people who haven't yet experienced those things. So they won't yet have that knowledge unless someone actually points it out to them. Absolutely. I think I know the answer to the next one. The next one is, what was the teacher, the subject or the moment that most inspired you? Now, I'm guessing that it was that teacher and that serendipity that put that course and that teacher in front of you at school. I might be wrong. Yeah, no, I think that would be definitely one point. So, yes, Mr. Bebbington, he was called, if I remember his name correctly. So when he came in, he he was very inspirational. I would also, you know, say... Liz Lydiot, who was the person who ran that design management course at the Surrey Institute, was a a sort of young course when I went in to do it. She also did a fantastic job and was another example of someone who was a professional. She knew how the world worked and then came in 
to academia and brought in a lot of her professional knowledge. So had that lovely mix of both sides. Uh, so she was also yeah very inspirational. Who or what inspires you now? Where do you get your inspiration from now? The bit that I like now, and again, this comes back, I think, to younger designers, is all the area of design activism. So as I say, I do work often with commercial companies in many guises, whether that's charities or CICs and all of that, that's, that's fine. I think what young designers are realising, and what's always excited me, actually, which is why I did the human geography as a subject, it's a bit more sort of political and a bit more about bigger society, that design is about communication. And therefore, design is incredibly powerful as a medium that engages. It's like designers have the skills to know how to engage people, whether that's through a piece of two-dimensional graphic design, whether it's through a three-dimensional object, whether it's through being able to design interior space and an experience. So if we can do that, I think it's becoming more and more important to then decide and be aware of the subjects which we are communicating. What is it we are trying to do? So we do often use our skills to help companies to sell more products and services. And that's okay. I don't have a, an issue with that. But I think in a world of sustainability, climate change, again, a lot of political uncertainty, there are also a lot of other subjects and a lot of areas of life that we need communication. We need creativity. We need engagement. We need debate. And I think designers sometimes underestimate how powerful their skills are in that area. And we need them in politics. We need them in some of these very sticky issues that we've got now as an entire world, as whole generations of people. And there are, say, fantastic designers out there in the world of design activism, I think, who are realising that and are using their design skills in that space. And I think more of that is needed. Yeah, just to use that that power of design to, again, not to be too pithy, but in that sort of world-changing area, which, you know, it has a very big part to play in that alongside the economists and the other people out there who have other skills, the scientists and, and the business people and everything. If we are problem solvers, there's a hell of a lot of problems out there at the moment. <laughs> so one, there's a very big world that needs a lot of new moment, solutions. Exactly. For sure. exactly. So that side of it is very inspiring. Next question is, what are you professionally most proud of? Being part of Workhouse is something I'm very proud of and very pleased with the results. You should think, be. Um, you should be. <laughs> thank you. But another thing that I've done that I was incredibly proud of, which is somewhat personal as well as professional. So I did a TEDx talk on the fact that myself and my partner were the first same-sex adopter in Bristol. So that was a great story to be able to share. But to do that in the TEDx format, and again, did it here in Bristol at what was then the Colston Hall, but has quite rightly been renamed, is now called Bristol Beacon. So to be in that audience with 2,000 people in the room and to do a presentation in that format and to go through that, one of the most sort of nerve-wracking presentations I've ever had to give, and to go through that process that was great. I think, again, coming back to the sort of professional side of it, that ability to present and learn those skills, then doing that TEDx was a huge achievement for that. And it allowed me to yeah, go through that process and, and sort of practice that and be able to you know give a talk for 20 minutes without slides. It is an incredibly hard thing to do. But the team that ran Bristol TEDx at that time, again, were very supportive. So I'm very proud to have got through that and then gained those skills and, and tell that story as well to that audience. That was great. 20 minutes does not sound like a long time, but without slides and without any material, just standing on stage like that, that is an eternity. It, it, it absolutely is, yes, yeah. And you must have rehearsed that to death, I would have thought. Uh, absolutely. I, it's a great lesson. I know people say it, and it sounds obvious when people say it, but, yeah, practice, practice, practice. Those 20 minutes I said hundreds and hundreds of times and, say, edited it and had a team of people to support me to produce that. So it was a very good lesson in really digging into the details and practicing, 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 and it gets better each time. And if you want something to be good, you do have to just spend the time on it and get people to help you and put your stuff out there, get people to critique it, help people to edit it, get people to change it for you. 
because things do get better. So again, it's very similar to a sort of design process, really. I'm going to have to find that. I'm going to have to search that down and have a look at that, I think. You all right if we put that in the show notes as well? It'd be good to have yes, absolutely. people to have a look at in the show notes. Yeah. The last question is, if there is, and we get lots of students listening to the podcast, which I'm really grateful for. If there is a young person out there now thinking, I've never heard of Workhouse, but I might look it up and I might have a go at that, or I've never thought of working in the design industry, but actually this is really intriguing to me. What one piece of advice or what one thought would you send their way? I would say, yeah, certainly have a look at it. And if you're interested, again, in the design industry, in whatever capacity, I would just say do dig in and go and speak to people because the design industry is a lot broader than most people realise. So a little bit like those design briefs we were talking about at the beginning, people tend to view design as a certain thing, graphic design, website design, whatever it might be. And a lot, I think, of young designers then think that. They think, you know, I'm going to design a thing, be a games designer or whatever I might want to be. But actually, there's a huge wealth of jobs in the design industry. There's people who manage clients. There's people who manage the projects. There's people who advise. There's the copywriters, the strategists, the people who do sit on and do the amazing things on Photoshop and all the other software. But there's all sorts of jobs that are needed. And it does take teams of people to run agencies. So go and yeah, have a broader look at what you might do if you want to go into the, the creative industries as a whole. There's such a, a, a lovely wealth of stuff out there and it's needed. If you've got a creative brain, the world again needs you to go out there and be creative. So yeah, go towards it and find something in there that will work for you. Well, the Design Council's Design Economy came out recently growing at twice the rate of any other business in the country and £97 billion donated to GDP last year. It's a growing sector. If you consider it, you're not going into a sector that's dying. You're going into a sector that is actually growing fast. Absolutely. Lynn, thank you. I've really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for everything that you're doing with the project. I just think Workhouse, it looks fantastic. We'll get this out before the weekend. So as it's live before then, I hope it goes really well. It might be good to do a quick 10-minute catch-up after the event. Yeah, sure. Just to see how it went so we can inform people. But thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. No, I really appreciate the opportunity, Tony. It's great to talk to you and all the work that you're doing out there to raise the profile for design and what it's got to offer to young people and to the world and the industry and all of that. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that podcast. What an amazing initiative. And I'm always amazed when people find a problem and instead of sitting in a pub having a beer moaning about it and saying that's an issue and, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And I wish somebody would do something about it. You've got six people here that have done something about it. They've got off their backside. They've looked at the collective skills that they've got. They've pieced them together and they've said, look, we, we can make a difference here. We can do something positive for young people and we can do something positive for the industry. I think it's an amazing thing. As we mentioned in the podcast, I would love it dearly if there are some people listening to this now who are thinking, do you know what, we can make that work in Liverpool or we can make that work in Birmingham or we can make that work in Manchester or Plymouth or wherever it might be. It would be great to get a workhouse initiative rolling across the country. And it's something I'm going to make a few calls on and just see if I can have a few conversations on as well, because I think young people need this. and I think the industry needs this. So huge thanks to Lynn for finding the time to come on the pod. Huge thanks to you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please do me a favor. Please go to wherever you got this podcast from. Subscribe if you haven't done already. That does make a difference. It means that more people get to see the podcast and also if there's a star rating on there and you feel it's worthy of five stars please do go on there and rate it for us because that just means more people see us it means our download figures go up and that means that we become visible to a much much bigger audience which is really important thank you to you thank you to the edge foundation for their continued support thank you to ptc on shape for their support we are working at the moment. I did mention on a previous podcast about the idea of going live next year and bringing some podcasts live to cities. We're working on that at the moment and putting funding together for that and actually working out 
what cities and where we would do it. So it looks like it may happen, but I'll come back to you with more news fairly soon. So thanks for tuning in. And until the next time, please take care. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you did, hit the subscribe button now as we have guests lined up for future pods that will inform, inspire, and entertain. This podcast is brought to you by the Design and Technology Association.